You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and let's start in Michigan with a case that I've actually been following, but I'm going to be honest, I've been really reluctant to bring it to you because the details are so horrific. But it's time. So let's do this because last week we did have some resolution and justice, if that's what we can call it, when Shanda Vander Ark was sentenced for the death of her 15-year-old son. And I'm actually going to start at the end instead of the beginning because Judge Matthew Casel said what everyone is thinking in this case. During Shanda's sentencing, he told the 44-year-old the following... I've been trying now for this entire case to wrap my mind around how somebody could do something so horrific, not only to another human being, but to their own child. You intentionally and systematically tortured this child. This wasn't punishment. You weren't trying to curb behavior. This was torture. So how did it get to the point of a mother killing her child? Well, here's how it started. Shanda was born in Alabama, and she appeared on the surface to be a driven young woman. After graduating high school, Shanda earned her Bachelor of Science degree at Liberty University. She attended Cooley Law School and earned her law degree there. Now, somewhere during all of that, because it extended over several years, but somewhere during those years, Shanda married Eric Ferguson, and the two had four children together, Nolan, Paul, Millie, and Timothy. But Shanda might not have been cut out to be a mother because back in 2009 and then in 2012, while Shanda and Eric were living in Oklahoma, on separate occasions, Oklahoma Child Protective Services were called to Shanda's home for reports of abuse of the children. CPS's subsequent investigation led to a recommendation that Shanda terminate her rights to her children. You guys, it must have been really bad. We know how slow CPS is sometimes to get into these difficult situations. If they're making this determination, the abuse had to be evident. 
All right, but the rights, they weren't ever terminated. However, Shanda did agree to relinquish the care of her children to her husband, Eric. And all of this was in order to avoid the permanent severing of parental rights. Well, the divorce is happening. And Timothy, who is the youngest child born to the two adults, is reported to have many learning and behavioral disabilities. Shanda claimed Timothy was diagnosed with high-functioning autism, with ADHD, with bipolar disorder, and other mental ailments. Now, all of the children go to live with Eric for a while, yet, unfortunately, it doesn't last. And then, in 2021, Paul and Timothy move back in with Shanda and her new husband, Adam. Timothy is 15 years old, and Paul is 19 years old. And as a side note, somewhere along the way, Shanda has birthed another child with Adam. Court documents only refer to this child as G, but he was about eight years old back in 2021 when the two other children moved in with Shanda. So maybe her new husband, Adam, was a stabilizer for Shanda. I don't know. But Adam suffered a stroke in 2021, and he leaves Shanda's home and returns to live with his parents. All right, so let's make sure we're all on the same page. We have Shanda, Paul, Timothy, and G, all living in Shanda's home. And just to be clear, two of Shanda's children are choosing to not have much of anything to do with Shanda. I'm just highlighting that for context. All right, all of this leads us up to the incredibly abusive months that began when the children moved back into the home and ended with Timothy's death on July 6th of 2022. And this is where I'm going to start sharing some of the really gruesome and monstrous details. Shanda was forcing Timothy to live in a small closet in the basement of the home. And you guys, I mean live. He would spend waking hours along with his nights in this cramped area that had only a blue tarp on the floor and an Amazon box so that Timothy could relieve himself if needed. The closet was also monitored with a security camera so that if Timothy moved around the cramped area or if he left the closet and wandered the basement, Paul and Shanda would be alerted. Now, throughout the house, locks were kept on the refrigerator and the freezer and cameras were set up in the bathroom. Paul told officers that Timothy would either be handcuffed or zip-tied just to restrict his movements and make his presence less intrusive for the two adults. Now, in text messages that were exchanged between Paul and Shanda, the two would often discuss ways to make Timothy uncomfortable. Paul would be encouraged to make Timothy stand, facing a wall for hours. But then on other times, Timothy would be required by Paul to do wall sits. And then on other occasions, Paul was required to stay awake with Timothy in order to punish the teen for not being a good sleeper. Okay, this one baffles me. So he doesn't like to sleep. He's not a good sleeper. So you're going to punish him by keeping him awake. Now, Timothy was also punished. And that was Paul's word, not mine. And he uses it over and over and over again. Because punishment and abuse are two very different things. Anyway, Paul said that Timothy was punished for various misdeeds by feeding him Carolina Reaper hot sauce. The hot sauce would be poured over bread or poured directly into Timothy's mouth. And the hot sauce soaked bread? Well, that seemed to be most of the nutrition the teen was receiving. He was becoming alarmingly thin, under 75 pounds. 
When Paul was asked by investigators if he was worried about his brother, he said he was and that he had even sent pictures of the boy to his mother in hopes to encourage her to command him to feed Timothy better, but he said that request didn't happen. Instead, according to Paul, more abuse was ordered. On the day before Timothy's death, Paul placed Timothy in an ice bath for nine hours. The mother-son duo had used the ice bath method previously to punish Timothy, but the duration on that day before he died was a whole new level of abuse. All right, so why the nine-hour ice bath? What did Shanda perceive that Timothy had done wrong? Paul says Timothy had become too lethargic and non-responsive. So Shanda commanded Paul to administer the ice bath in order to make Timothy uncomfortable. I guess thinking that would make the massively emaciated 15-year-old wake up? When that didn't work, Shanda, via text message, told Paul to heat up a pizza roll and hold that pizza roll under Timothy's nose in order to entice him into waking up. But Shanda said the pizza roll was just to wake him up, that if he did become alert, Paul was not to feed the pizza roll to the starving teenager. He was to pull it away before Timothy could get any nutrients. When these things weren't working, you know, trying to make Timothy wake up and act alert, Shanda told Paul, again, via text message, to pour hot sauce on the boy's genitals. Paul told investigators he did not use the hot sauce technique requested by his mother because that was just too much for her to ask of him. After administering the nine-hour ice bath, Paul placed Timothy back in the closet. When morning time came, Timothy was dead. Paul tried life-saving techniques for nearly 18 minutes before calling 911. When the first responders arrived, they found Timothy dead on the floor near the closet, and that closet reeked of urine and feces. An autopsy found that the 15-year-old boy weighed 69 pounds upon his death and that he had suffered hypothermia from the nine-hour ice bath as well as chronic malnutrition. Paul had texted his mother before first responders arrived, and she instructed him to lie to police and say that Timothy had been on a hunger strike, and that was why he was so thin. And true to form, Paul did, as his mother said, and he lied to police. So if you're asking the question, why is all of this happening through Paul? Where is Shanda? Why isn't she at home? I don't have an answer for you other than Shanda acts like she's working 16-hour days as a law clerk for the Nuago Circuit Court, and also that her youngest child, G, had baseball game after baseball game that she was attending. I don't know, maybe she was studying for the bar during this time, or maybe she's at Starbucks, or maybe there are that many baseball games. But one thing is clear, she isn't home a lot. And when she is, she is abusing Timothy side by side with Paul. I also wonder, who is taking care of that little boy that the court names as G? On the day of Timothy's death, G was at his grandparents' home. My mama heart aches for all of these children, and I hope that G has been kept safe through all of this because clearly Timothy was in grave danger. Well, both Paul and Shanda were arrested. Paul is charged with multiple counts of child abuse, and Shanda, well, she's charged with murder. And the finger pointing began between the two. We know from Paul's accounts of the abuse that he feels like it was his mother's commands and he's just following them. 
And Shanda told investigators that her son Paul was the one initiating the abuse. But oh, sweet Shanda, the text messages between you two don't lie. When the trial started last year, despite those text messages and despite her son Paul turning on her, Shanda maintained her innocence and she even took the stand in her own defense. The questions by her attorney are super interesting. He asks her if she ever withheld water from the boy. She says no, but he doesn't ask about food. And my brain goes to the place of, well, he didn't ask about food because the boy died from malnutrition and hypothermia. Facts are facts. He wasn't being fed. Then Shanda also claims he wasn't punished for certain behaviors, despite the texts between her and Paul indicating otherwise. She claimed she went to his younger half-brother's baseball games during the abuse that was being administered, but that she can't remember those games or the texts. And all of that is because she's insinuating that those games are her alibi while the abuse is happening. When asked by her lawyer if she ever intended to hurt her child, she said, absolutely not. Now, it's important to note that Shanda raised service dogs. And when asked by prosecutors during her testifying if she would give hot sauce to dogs for punishment, she said no. And she also clarified that dogs can't think like humans, so she would never think to use hot sauce on a dog. And then the prosecutor asked if she would give a dog an ice bath. And she had said, actually, that never crossed her mind either because she doesn't bathe her dogs at home. She also claimed the ice in the bath that Timothy was forced to take was only to cool the overly hot bath. Okay, weirdly, when she talks about this part in her testimony, she flares in anger when she mentions her son lying for two days about blowing out the pilot light on the water heater. Okay, that's weird, right? She testifies that the bath was too hot, so she needed to cool it down with ice. But then she gets angry when she says they didn't have hot water because Timothy extinguished the pilot light on the hot water heater. Okay, ugh, all of this. With the ice bath punishment, in the text exchanges with Paul, she mentions that she has bags of ice ready in the freezer to administer the punishment. Okay, that's some ahead-of-time planning in her abuse. And repeatedly on the stand, as Shanda reads the text messages between her and Paul, she claims she doesn't remember the conversations. I would say the climax of her testimony came when the prosecutor showed Shanda pictures of her son on the day he died. Now, the purpose of the pictures was to clarify that Shanda actually knew how thin he was. What was her reaction? She threw up into the garbage can that was located at her feet on the witness stand. Now, the jury was removed from the courtroom while Shanda gathered herself. And the angry part of me wants to say she was faking the vomiting, but you guys, I really don't know. I do know this. Her desire to punish her child was still palpable in the questioning. Where does that come from? And to find out that answer, it would take someone incredibly skilled in psychology. And you guys, that's not me. However, I am skilled in motherhood and I'm going to be bold here and say that I'm embarrassed she shares that title with me. It doesn't matter where the abuse came from, whether it be mental illness or PTSD, as she claims, or if she's just pure evil. Those children, and this includes Paul, shouldn't have been in her care. Well, on December 15th of last year, 
the jury took about an hour to deliberate the case, and they returned with a guilty verdict. Shanda had been convicted of murdering her 15-year-old son, Timothy. She wasn't even in the courtroom when her verdict was read. She was feeling ill that day, so she did not attend. And you guys in Michigan, that's allowed. She was not required to be present when her verdict was read. So now we're back to where I started this update, the day that Shanda was sentenced. Before the judge handed down his determination, he heard from Shanda's other children. Millie, who was not living with her mother when Timothy died, talked about how she regrets not hugging Timothy more. She said she regretted not dancing with Timothy at a wedding that they attended together. She then said she should have protected him more. You guys, she's only two years older than him. That burden that was placed on her to now feel like she should have protected him more, again, Shanda should not have been a mother in touch with these kids. Now, during Millie's victim impact statement, she referred to her mother not as her mother, but as the woman who took her brother's life. She then asked the judge to give that woman the highest punishment possible so that she could not take any other lives. And Nolan, well, that's the oldest son of Shanda. He told the judge that he can't have his brother back, so his mother shouldn't have her freedom back. The prosecuting attorney said Shanda never even made eye contact with her children as they gave their victim statements. Now, in an act of trying to evoke mercy for his client, Shanda's attorney talked about how Shanda was a survivor, that she willingly welcomed the children back into her home after her husband left the home due to his stroke. He said Shanda had pulled herself up by her bootstraps. He reminded the court that they weren't looking at evil, but instead they were looking at someone who is sick. Well, when it came time for Judge Casel to administer the sentence, he added more to the strongly worded rebuke of Shanda. He said, I don't believe you intended to kill. I believe you intended to keep torturing him as long as you possibly could. Why? I don't know. He then said, this wasn't negligence or you not understanding what was going on. You knew exactly what you were doing. Then he added, you testified yourself how incredibly intelligent you were. In fact, that's the only thing you testified that I believe was true. You were incredibly proud of that, boasting about it. He ended with this. I'm a father myself. Most mothers have such a strong love for their children. To see what you did to your own child, the only thing I can come up with is horrific. He then showed the smiling picture of Timothy and told the court that he did not want anyone to remember Timothy as the starving victim, but instead to remember him as the bright child in the picture on the judge's iPad. Now, Shanda was sentenced to life in prison without parole, and then an enhanced sentencing of an additional 150 years in prison. So, barring any successful appeal, Shanda will never see freedom again. After his mother was convicted of murder, Paul pled guilty to those child abuse charges. This was all part of the deal between Paul and the prosecutors. Prosecutors agreed to not use any of his testimony about his mother and the abuse he perpetrated at her commands. Well, they're not going to use any of that against him in the abuse charges or sentencing. In return for his testimony, prosecutors also said they would detail his cooperation to the sentencing judge. Now, one of those notes of cooperation was that Paul showed great remorse while on the stand testifying against his mother. He told the courtroom that he supposed he didn't love his brother enough, but that now 
he could try to get justice for him. When the judge accepted Paul's guilty plea, he warned Paul that he, as the judge, can inflict a sentence that extends past the suggested guidelines. When he asked Paul if he understood the risk, Paul simply said, yes, your honor. Now, Paul was supposed to receive his sentence this week, but his hearing has been bumped back to February 26th, so I will keep you updated on when that occurs. And can I just weigh in about Paul here? I watched portions of his testimony. This man seems stunted and emotionally, you guys, I don't know, just so unsure of himself. I believe he has been abused mentally and his behavior matches that. I'm not a psychologist, but this is just my take. And Paul has lived a very rough life as well. I told you guys this was a tough one to get through. I'll keep you updated on what happens with Paul. All right, now to a crime that violates women without even touching them. We're in Lakewood, Colorado, where police have issued a warrant for the arrest of a panty thief. So did he steal a couple dozen, maybe 50 pairs? Nope. He's accused of stealing nearly $30,000 worth of underwear over a two-year period at the Lakeview Towers apartment complex. Police say 39-year-old Hugo Salazar Hernandez has been charged with multiple counts of stealing women and children's panties and their bras from the laundry rooms at the apartment complex. The victims range in ages of 6 to 69 years old, this according to police. And the panty thief did the stealing from August of 2021 to May of 2023. Now, a search warrant served at Hernandez's home yielded over 500 pieces of stolen undergarments. So they found the bra and panties, but they didn't find Hernandez. As of the recording, he seems to be on the run. This case has perplexed the Lakewood area for months. Back in July of last year, police urged for the public's help in identifying the panty thief because they were worried his sexual fantasies would result in an accelerated and aggressive behavior. And the residents were getting very concerned. Obviously, that's valid. One resident said he had started to do his laundry somewhere else due to the thefts. So as the Lakewood Police Department continues searching for Hernandez, it kind of got me thinking. I remembered a panty thief case in my own area about 15 years ago. So I Googled it. Panty thievery is more common than you might think. Back in April of 2022, a panty thief was arrested in Dothan, Alabama. That 28-year-old was found with 400 pairs of women's underwear when he was arrested for voyeurism. And in May of 2018, a Claremont County, Ohio apartment complex had a serial panty thief in their midst. The women complaining of their undergarments being stolen said they had seen the man sniffing and stealing women's underwear, but said they couldn't get police to take the problem seriously. And there was the Australian man who back in September was found pleasuring himself underneath underwear that was hanging on a clothesline to dry. When police arrested that 34-year-old, they found more than 5,000 pieces of women's bras, panties, and gym clothing. And in a disgusting turn of events in this case, those 5,000 pieces, well, many of them were stained with semen. And in 2016, a 44-year-old panty thief in Santa Ana, California, would use Instagram to track female college students' locations in order to know when he could enter their homes and steal not only their panties, but also jewelry and electronics. 
My cursory search on the internet also led me to several Reddit threads with people admitting to their panty thievery. Y'all, stop stealing! And as far as Hernandez out of Colorado goes, if you know where the Lakewood panty thief is, you can call Crime Stoppers at 720-913-STOP. And let's end with some good news. So many of you were saddened to the point of not being able to listen when I shared the stories of animal cruelty a few weeks back. Well, this is a story about police rescuing animals and they are safe. This whole bizarre scene unfolded on a stretch of highway between Indianapolis and Fort Wayne, Indiana on Saturday. It was the middle of the night, 2 a.m., when a Grant County Sheriff's Trooper saw a Volvo semi-truck and trailer engulfed in flames. The trooper and another deputy, along with a worker from the Shrine Circus, quickly acted, and they rescued five zebras, four camels, and a miniature horse from the burning trailer. Body cam footage shows the deputy and trooper working quickly to remove the animals and bring every last one of them to safety. Now, both the law enforcement officials suffered smoke inhalation, and they were treated at a local hospital. Other law enforcement? Well, they built a makeshift barricade to keep all the animals safe until workers from the Shrine Circus could transport the animals in another truck. Now, the cause of the fire was determined to be an equipment failure within the truck. You guys, I bet Indiana law enforcement didn't have that on their 2024 bingo card. See, there are happy stories involving police and animals. Okay, that's your Thursday episode of Rise and Crime. Thanks, you guys. You're awesome. And thanks for joining Oh No Media. We love bringing you the content. If you love what you're hearing, give Rise and Crime a like or a follow. You could also tell a friend. And most importantly, please subscribe while you're at it. Join me again on Monday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.